Welcome to the Red Door Church Sermon Podcast. Red Door Church is a church seeking to transform the city of Pretoria by the power of the gospel. We are distinctly mission-minded, community-cultivating, and city-loving. Please enjoy this week's sermon, and don't forget to follow and continue the conversation by sharing with those around you. By God's word, as we hear from him um, from the book of Acts. My name is Christy Sadi. I'm the director of Campus Outreach Pretoria, and Red Door Church partners with Campus Outreach Pretoria in order to reach more students at the University of Pretoria. I'm married to Selen, who just read for us, and we have a little baby on the way. Um, today we... Really? Hoof hoof, guys. <laughs> um, this morning we are going to continue in our series in the book of Acts called Sent, which is basically about the origins of the local church and how Jesus sent out his disciples to witness about his life, his death, and his resurrection in the city where they were, in the surrounding regions, and also to the ends of the earth. So it's extremely encouraging. If you've ever wondered, like, how did the church start? Go read the book of Acts, because we are literally meeting here today, and people are meeting to worship Jesus all over, over the world because of what happened here in the book of Acts. So, the, the title I, I have for this morning is Prayer, First Step or Last Resort. Now, I'm not one of those guys who wake up at four in the morning to pray for three hours. Um, so if you were thinking, oh, this guy's just going to guilt trip us now to pray more because he's such a beast. I am not a prayer warrior. and In fact, I to confess, I probably run to my own ability, my own problem solving, my own strategizing first um, before I run to God. So it's almost as if my last resort, after everything has failed, then I'll go to God. So to a large extent, this sermon is for myself, and you guys just get to sit in. Um, one example of that is when we first found out that we were pregnant, we were extremely happy, we were rejoicing. But only a few days later, we we were in the emergency room with a miscarriage scare. And it was at that moment when I realized there's literally nothing you can do for this baby to be saved. Like, there's nothing that you can do in that moment to save a baby. So the only thing that I could do, that we could do, was just to pray and, and just to hand it over to God. And all of us, all of us here will f- be faced with a crisis. Um, that was our crisis. That was when I realized, you know, my lack of prayer and even the contents of my prayer perhaps revealed that I am perhaps idolizing myself or my own control. I want to be in charge. And I'm not really putting my full trust in God um, in my life. And, and it might be the same for you. It might be an undisciplined child. It might be a loss of a loved one. It might be a failed marriage or relationship uh, that is breaking down. It might be a loss of a job, loss of income, a diagnosis you didn't want to yell, even just a flat tire on the N1. We are living in a broken world and therefore we will all face crises at one stage or another. And this morning, the passage will basically tell us 
that the early church, as a first step, decided to pray. So as we're going to be talking about prayer, let me pray for us um, so that we can not be distracted, so that we can be encouraged by his word. Father, we thank you that you are amazing, that you are kind, that you are loving, that you have adopted us into your family, that you have made a way for us rebels to be reconciled back into a relationship with you through Uh, Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he made for us on the cross. We're so grateful that we can meet together. We're so grateful that we can freely and openly, without opposition, open your word and speak boldly about Jesus and what he has done. I pray that this would be an encouraging time, that my words would be pleasing and, and, and edifying to all of us here. And may you get the glory in all situations. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So the text that Selen read for us, um, I'm going to break up into three points. Um, You'll see the three points there for those who like a roadmap to kind of see uh, where we're going, uh, what are we doing. The first step is the report that the apostles gave to the rest of the followers. Uh, The second one is the reaction of the followers to that report. And then the last one is the response of God in response the response of God to the reaction of the disciples. So let's start with the report, Acts 4.23. You can follow in your Bible if you want. Um, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Now that's a really weird place to start a passage to preach on. Um, It's almost like starting in the middle of a movie. It's like, huh? Um, so a good principle to follow is when something really doesn't make sense, read the passage before in order to give you a context for what uh, is going on. Um, so if you haven't been here, last week we preached about the previous passage, so we kind of know what's coming. But if you haven't been here, feel free to go to red.church.co.za, click on our podcast, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, whatever podcast you want, and uh, you can follow up on all the sermons that we have here. Um, but let me give you almost like a highlight, blow-by-blow uh, blow, uh, summary of what has occurred up until this moment. And this event is actually what the report was that the apostles then gave. Because all these people weren't at the temple, and they didn't see what happened. Okay, so first of all, Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah of the Jews, was crucified on a cross by his own people with the help of the Romans. He was buried, and three days later he rose from the dead Um, proving that he was the son of God who came to save uh, us from our sins. He spent some time with his disciples and then ascended into heaven, empowering them to do the mission uh, which he had called them to do, to make disciples of all nations. Um, he, He then promised to give them the Holy Spirit to empower them. The Spirit then fell on the disciples one day when they were praying. Peter preached the sermon. 300 people came to Christ. Those people eventually became the church, the early church, and that's like a mega church already in and of itself, uh, 3,000 people, and they were gathering together, eating together, having communion together, praying together, and on the way to one of these prayer meetings one day, Peter and John felt uh, a prompting of the Holy Spirit to heal a person that was paralyzed um, for 40 years from his birth, and they actually heal him in the name of Jesus, and pandemonium breaks loose, and Thousands more people come to Christ after Peter preached a sermon. 
the Jewish authorities get extremely jealous, especially the Sadducees. Sadducees were a sect of people who didn't believe in miracles, superpower, supernatural events, or resurrection. So the fact that Peter was preaching about the resurrection of some guy called Jesus of Nazareth made them extremely angry, so therefore they actually arrested Peter and John, and unfortunately the guy got uh, healed as well. Spent the night in prison, then the next day they were interrogated by the, the ruling people of the nation, so the parliament, so basically the elders who run the Jewish nation. And these were the exact same people who only a few months earlier questioned Jesus, condemned him to death, and it's actually in the same room that John and um, Paul and this healed person uh, is now speaking uh, to them. And with the power and the, the boldness of the Holy Spirit, Peter and John tells these leaders of the Jews, these scholars, these holy people, that you are guilty of killing an innocent man. Not only are you guilty of killing an innocent man, you're guilty of killing the Messiah that we have waited, the, the incarnate God, Jesus, was God, and you killed him with the help of evil men. You are guilty, and you need to repent, and salvation is only to be found in him. You can imagine that this did not go well with the rulers, um, and they couldn't really do anything because the miracle that had been performed was proven to be true by thousands of people. Everyone witnessed it. Um, so they didn't really know what to do. So they tell John and Peter to not tell anyone about Jesus, to not speak in the name of Jesus, to not heal in the name of Jesus, and they threatened them with their lives. Now this was not an empty threat, because these were the very same people who only a few months later, a few months earlier, killed Jesus, the person that they are following. So they, don't, they know it's not an empty threat. So it was with this context that they go to the other followers of Jesus, who were not at the temple, who were not there, and they are saying, listen, we have just become public enemy number one. That is the context. That's the heaviness. That's the, the, the mood of the situation. Up until now, they've been able to preach freely, been able to meet and pray in the temple, in public, and gathering. Uh, over 3,000 people like just gathering, not maybe all together, but in different groups, freely speaking about Jesus, that he is the Messiah. But now, the Jewish authorities know who they are. They know who the leaders are. They know who they're connected with. And if you've read a little bit forward uh, in the book of Acts, um, you will know that the public executions, the persecutions, and the arrests are about to follow. And the whole church, almost the whole church, as a result of the persecution by a guy called Saul, will spread out throughout the whole Roman Empire as a result of this persecution. And they will go and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the whole empire. That is what was reported to these people. Now, I'm not going to be too harsh on them, but, or maybe I won't be too harsh on myself, but 
I would totally understand if they perhaps called an emergency meeting and say, guys, we need to come up with a plan. We are public enemy number one. They want to get rid of us. They think we're a sect. They think we're trying to overthrow the whole Jewish order and ways of doing things. Let's come up with secret passwords. Let's come up with safe houses. Let's come up with escape strategies. Let's, let's try and stay, stay out of jail and out of the grave. That, I would have totally understood that if that was the case, if that was the first thing they did. But as we see in the reaction, the second point, that was not what they did. The first thing they did was to pray. This is the longest prayer recorded in the book of Acts. And I think Luke, I think Luke deliberately recorded this prayer, not only to show that the early church prayed in the midst of a crisis, but also to show us what they prayed. Like the content of what they prayed is important because he wants us to follow their example. The second thing to notice that's really interesting is that they didn't pray by themselves. To pray by yourself is good, and we should do it, you know. But it is very interesting that when people come together and have the same desire, the same heart, the same calling, the same experiencing the same crisis, when they call out to God together, God moves. I don't know if you've perhaps watched a sermon at home on YouTube, listened to some Bethel songs. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Listen to some um, godly, doctrinally accurate worship songs. <laughs> no, 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 I won't say names. Um, there's something missing about it. Like, it's like, yeah, I'm learning something. You know, theoretically, I'm learning something. This is good. Um, I'm jamming to some songs in the background while I'm washing the dishes. Like, this is totally, like, this is good. It's not a bad thing. But then, when you come together with God's people and you do the same thing, for some reason, it feels different. Why is that? And I think it's because the Holy Spirit works in a, a unique and different way when God's people, who are all filled with His Spirit, come together in unison. And that is what they did. They prayed together. As Christians, we are so privileged to, to know that our identity is in Jesus Christ, that God has accepted us and loved us the way we are. We no longer have to wear masks. We no longer have to to go through our crises or our problems or our sufferings by ourselves. And I think sometimes we have that whole stiff upper lip thing of, I'll make it through. Like, I'll go pray in my own room. I'll go pray by myself. I won't tell any one of my struggles. I won't tell any one of my addictions. I won't tell any one of my relational breakdowns. I will just get through it, just me and God, me and God. But God has provided this community. God has provided spiritual people not only to pray with us, to draw, not only to pray with us and, and call on God for help together, but also to carry that burden together. We are living in a broken world and all of us will face um, 
crises at some times. So I plead with you to not go through it alone, to actually ask and communicate and be open and vulnerable because nothing you do will make God love you less. And this is also interesting, nothing you do will make God love you more. So like if you thought like, oh, if I do more quiet times and if I listen to more worship songs and if I memorize more scripture, then God will love me more. That's a lie. That's not true either. God loves you perfectly if you are in a relationship with Jesus Christ. If your faith is in Jesus Christ, you are covered with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. His righteousness was imparted to you. So when God sees you, he sees Jesus, and Jesus is perfect. So he can never love you more than he's already loved you. Uh, Romans 5 says, God demonstrates, Romans 5 verse 8, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So it's basically saying that when you were a rebel, and you were basically fighting against God, um, doing everything against what God wants you to do, uh, basically giving God the finger, you are basically loved by God in the fact that he, while you were like that, he sent his son to die for you. How much more does he love you when you are already his child? So as a result of that, we can freely and openly, boldly say, listen, I have issues. I'm a mess. Like, and, and you can freely do that. Another interesting thing about this prayer, which I find so interesting, is that out of the six and a half verses, four and a half verses is about God's sovereignty and only two verses is about asking for things. Now, I must confess that most of the time when I pray, I'm just basically asking for stuff. And this passage, this prayer is actually saying that that's not bad. Like, God is a loving father. And if a child goes to their father and be like, uh, I don't feel like I can ask him. I feel uncomfortable asking him. Then there's something wrong there. A child should be able to come to their father and be like, can I please get ice cream? He, he might not always say yes, but he must have the freedom and the, the confidence to go to their father and say like, I would love a top deck. I would love Doritos, you know? Um, so it's not bad to ask for things, but it's interesting that in this prayer, for and a half of the verses is merely stating who God is and what he's done. It's merely stating how he is sovereign over everything in the world. And then out of a context of that, understanding who God is and what he's done, they then say, God help us. We are public enemy number one. The Jewish authorities are gunning for us. Help us. So let me break down the prayer quickly. Why did they pray? That's implied in the context. They, they pray because they need help. They pray because they realize they are not in control of their own destinies. And they pray because God is the one who is sovereign. Who did they pray for? Acts 4 verse 24b. It says, to the sovereign Lord. They pray to the sovereign Lord. And that word means to be absolutely in control or in absolute control. There's nothing outside of his control. God is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing. 
He knows about your suffering. He knows about your difficulty. He's there with you. He can identify with you. And he can empower you to get through it. What did they pray? Verse 24 to 26. They prayed the Bible. This is weird because it's not normal. But it's biblical and it should be normal. How many people have you ever prayed with? Like, or how regularly have you ever prayed and people are just quoting scripture? Let's just be honest, that's not our culture. That's not normal. And I feel like that should be normal. As they are praying, they are basically just quoting Exodus and Psalms. Like, Look at that. Sovereign Lord, verse, go back one. Sovereign Lord, verse 24. I'll just go back one. Shame, it's bad being the, the, person, the person who does the slides. We have to be very loving and gracious towards people who do the slides because when something doesn't happen, everyone's like, what's going on? We love you, Tuki. We really appreciate, appreciate you. Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. That's just Exodus 20 verse 11. That's just a quote. That's just a paraphrase of a passage in Exodus. Then it goes on to quote Psalm 2. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. That's just Psalm 1 to 2, 1 to 2. So in their prayer, they're just telling God who he is, his character, his attributes, what he has done, and out of an overflow of that, they're like, God, based on who you are and who you've proven yourself to be in history, help us. I find it so cool. The next slide, um, I broke up. Um, I didn't know this, by the way, but as I was studying the passage, I found it so interesting that Luke is actually showing us in the very next verses, 27 to 28, he's actually showing that what happened to Jesus was a, a fulfillment of the prophecy of Psalm 2, 1 to 2, the table. Psalm, okay, let me read it. Here we go. For truly in this city we were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. The very same, so Luke quotes from the Greek version of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. These words in the colors that correspond or correlate are exactly the same Greek word. So what he is saying is Jesus is the anointed that is referred to in Psalm 2. So for truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. Refers to the anointed that, Dave, that David talks about in Psalm 2. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along, okay, let me stop there. Psalm 2, the kings of the earth, the king refers to King Herod, who was the king of the Jews at the time when Jesus was crucified. The rulers refers to Pontius Pilate, who was the ruler of, even though Herod was a king, he was a puppet king, the actual ruler was Pontius Pilate. 
Why do the nations rage refers to the Gentiles, all the Romans, that actually was used, uh, that killed Jesus. And then the last one, the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand, uh, your plan had predestined to take place, which refers to, and the people's plot in vain. This is fascinating because it's the exact same words. And Luke is basically saying, God was not caught off guard. This passage in Psalm 2 was written by David more than a thousand years before Jesus was crucified. And yet, everything that's there correlates exactly to what happened there. It's, it's an amazing way of them acknowledging God is sovereign over the whole universe. God is sovereign over history. God understands all your problems, all your crises, and even in the midst of all these difficult things, in the midst of a broken world, in the midst of everything falling apart, God will allow His um, purposes to be fulfilled because He is sovereign over all those things. So we come to our last point. The response. This is where it gets supernatural. Acts 4.31 And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. In this passage, we see that when our desires align with God's desires, the Spirit moves. When our desires are in line with God's desires, the Spirit moves. The example I would give is, imagine you are a factory worker at All Gold, and you make tomato sauce. You, you need tomatoes to make tomato sauce. And you have run out of tomato sauce. You've run out of tomatoes to make tomato sauce. So you, as the employee, go to the boss and you say, can I get more tomatoes? He's like, why do you want more tomatoes? Because I want to make tomato sauce. And then the boss says, well, I want to sell more tomato sauce. This makes sense. It's a win-win. You are asking for the thing that will help me sell more tomatoes. So their desires are in tune with one another. So we have to look at what our purpose is in this life. Our purpose is not to have a better, a better car to receive, receive uh, or to um, reach self-actualization, to go on nicer holidays, to live in bigger houses, uh, even to have fulfillment in our jobs. That's actually not the purpose of our lives. Our purpose is to make disciples and to advance God's kingdom. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them uh, what I have taught you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And behold, I am with you. And this is what he has promised to us. He will empower us if we do the thing that he wants us to do. So we can't be frustrated if we're like, God, why aren't you helping me to build my empire so I can be rich so I don't have to depend on you? Like, God is probably sitting there. So you want to become more rich so that you don't have to trust in me. 
I'm going to make you poorer, to be honest, because that will make you trust me more. So our purpose in life is to make disciples where we live, work, and play, to grow God's kingdom, and to help people, whether they be our friends, our family members, our neighbors, our colleagues, help them move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's glorious light. That is our purpose. So if nothing in your life has anything linked to that purpose, there's something wrong. And if nothing in your life has anything to do with that purpose, I cannot see the Holy Spirit working in you. I cannot see God working through His Holy Spirit in you. Here we see that God shows up in a supernatural way and He makes the place where they are meeting shake and He pours out the Spirit on them. And that then causes them to do the exact thing that they asked God to help them with. God help us in the midst of being public enemy number one to continue to preach Jesus as Lord and Savior. And then God is like, that's what I want as well. Boom, more Holy Spirit for you. That's what we need to do. We need to get our desires in line with God's desires. And I'm going to close off with these few applications. When we are faced with a crisis, not if, when we are faced with our own crises, please turn to God first. When you are faced with a crisis in your life, pray to God with yourself, by yourself, and with other people. Read God's Word. Read the Bible. Because that's the only way that you will understand who God really is and what you are really like. If we don't understand the Bible, imagine these apostles, these disciples didn't know Jesus or didn't know God from a bar of soap. Then we wouldn't have the first four verses of the prayer. We would just have help. Which is nothing wrong with it. But Luke deliberately wrote the prayer to say, it is important to know who you're praying to because that gives us more comfort understanding that God loves us. God cares for us. God is sovereign over all things. He can help you. He can empower you. So the only way that we will understand who God is, understand who has revealed himself to be, is if we actually read the Bible. And if you're like me and you hate reading Listen to the audio Bible. Just pour yourself with the, with the Word of God. When you go to bed, when you sleep, when you wake up in the morning, when you're driving in your car, when you're stuck in traffic, just put God's Word on. Just let God's Word fall over you as much as possible. And then the last thing, pray that God will give you a heart for the lost. And pray that you can line up your, uh, your life's purpose with God's. Maybe we should all reflect and go do like a self-reflection thing at home. Be like, you know, my desire to become like the richest person in Pretoria, maybe that's not really in line with what God wants. You know, my desire to get that Lamborghini, maybe that's not in line with what God wants. And it's honestly not wrong to have a Lamborghini, but perhaps some of our prayers should maybe more of our praise should be in line with how 
is my life being used to build strategic relationships with the people around me that I work with, live with, play with? Um, and then what am I trying to do to bring them closer to a relationship with Jesus? Have I had coffee with anyone? Have I shared my story, my faith story with anyone? Have I asked them like deep questions? Like if you can see someone is struggling, if you see someone at work is struggling, like, or someone in your class, like have you showed some concern for them? Have you loved them? You know, sometimes people are asked like, hey, how are you really doing? And then they just start crying because no one cares about other people anymore. Everyone is just so busy on their phones the whole time doing their own thing. But like, how can we love other people, reach out to other people, show the love of Christ to other people? Father, we need you to help us reach out to other people. I pray that you would help us to um, really run to you first and not try to, um, in our own strength and abilities, sort out our own issues. Because in most of the cases, we just make it even more of a bigger mess. And we pray that that we will run to you and that you would give us perspective and that you would help us understand how you are sovereign and in control over all things, uh, Lord, and that you are, are able to help us and empower us to, to endure and to know what to do. Thank you for giving us your word, uh, that how you have revealed yourself to us, your character, your love, your, um, the way that you have worked all throughout history to, to reconcile us back into a relationship with you even when we rebelled against you. Thank you for giving us Jesus as a sacrifice that in and through a relationship with him, we can be reconciled with you again, that we can be back in a relationship with you. Thank you that you love us so much and pour out your love and mercy on us constantly, even as we continue to sin and choose the wrong things. Lord, forgive us when we try to build our own empires. Forgive us when we become apathetic towards other people and, and, and ignore the sufferings that other people are going through. Lord, we, we pray that you will, you will help us to, to make our desires and our purpose in life more in line with what you want us to do. And we beg you and we ask you for your spirit to, to fall, us, fall on us and empower us to do this more boldly, more courageously, without caring what other people think, without fearing for our lives, without fearing of what people um, will think of us, Lord, but that we will care only and firstly of what you think of us and your opinion of us. Make us more bold, make us more courageous, and make us tactful uh, in the way that we seek to show the love of Jesus and share the, the love of Jesus with other people.